Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. Welcome to A Public Affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. While you might not know it, after this snowy weekend, spring is officially coming next week. And Wisconsin farmers are busy getting ready for the upcoming growing season. At the Linda and Jean Farley Center for Peace, Justice, and Sustainability in Verona, outside of Madison, a dozen farmers will be cultivating 16 acres this year, many of them immigrants growing Asian and Latin American specialty crops. The Farley Center began Dane County's first farm incubator program in 2010. With the Farm Incubator, now a collaborative farm, new farmers receive support with land, tools, education, and marketing, and they sell their produce throughout the area at farmer's markets, CSAs, groceries, and restaurants. We're fortunate today to have the opportunity to hear firsthand about the story of the Farley Center and some of its innovative farmers. We have two of them with us on a public affair here today, along with the Farley Center's, Center's farm manager here in studio. And I'll introduce our farmers first. Uh, we have with us Shandy Carnum, who runs Ganny Moon Farm, where he and his wife grow vegetables for farmers markets and area restaurants. He's been farming at the Farley Center since 2017. Welcome, Shandy. Hi, Douglas. Thanks. Thanks for hosting us. We're happy to have you with us. And we also have with us Sam Shea, who runs Jumping Spider Farm, where he grows a diversity of crops, including vegetables important to his Taiwanese roots. He uses he, him, or they pronouns. Welcome, Sam. Hello. Thanks for having me. And with me in the studio is Seth Riley, farm manager at the Farley Center since 2016. Thanks so much for coming in, Seth. Hello. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question for our guests, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. We're going to talk all things local farming today and vegetable farming and, and the kinds of community and collaboration that evolves from a really unique program like the Farm Collaborative at the Farley Center. So we're going to start off learning about that today here with Seth Riley. Um, Seth, it'd be great if you could give us some background on the mission of the Farley Center, if people don't know about it and, and where it is, and then a little bit about how the Farm Collaborative fits into that mission. Yes, absolutely. Lyndon Jean Farley moved to Verona, Wisconsin in the 80s uh, and built a home outside of Verona on Spring Rose Road. They were radically generous people who uh, were doctors uh, and moved to Madison and worked at the university. Uh, they were not farmers themselves, uh, but they opened up uh, their land to families, Hmong families, who were looking uh, for land to farm themselves and being the generous people they were. Uh, the Hmong families have been on that land for a couple decades now, growing vegetables. 
Uh, Linden Jean lived uh, for many, many years out in Verona and not only opened their land to farming, but opened their home and the rest of the property to visitors and community groups and um, really championed a lot of different progressive and social justice causes during their time. Uh, when Linda passed away, uh, she was buried on the property site and then uh, Jean had the uh, grand idea um, to kind of carry on their legacy by creating the Farley Center, a nonprofit organization, as well as the Natural Path Sanctuary, a green cemetery on the property, so that he would be able to bury, be buried there with his wife as well. Uh, that all came to be in about 2010 to 2011, uh, when the Farley Center and the Natural Path Sanctuary began. Uh, with the Farley Center, um, the incubator farm program was started then too and that kind of built on um, the Hmong gardens that were there as well. Uh, so the idea for that is we can provide uh, land, equipment, technical assistance, other resources to immigrant or beginning farmers um, who either want to continue their farming career here in Madison or to get into farming um, to explore uh, starting a food business or some other um, entrepreneurial uh, food-based venture. Um, so we can kind of provide habitat for them um, at a lower cost, a lower cost of entry, and really reduce the barriers for uh, people to either continue farming uh, small-scale uh, organic vegetables or fresh fruits um, or to get into that, um, to kind of explore it as a career option as well. Thanks for that great overview, Seth. Um, tell us a little bit more about those barriers you were talking about there at the end. Um, if you're somebody who didn't grow up on a farm or grow up with access to land and you decide, hey, I'd, I'm really passionate about growing vegetables, um, for example, and I'd like to, to get into the business, um, what what are the challenges for somebody in that position? And, and how are you situated there at the Farley mm -hmm. Center to help people overcome those challenges? Yep. Uh, big challenges would be access to that land to grow the food, as well as uh, resources such as equipment, um, maybe some technical assistance um, or training. Um, specifically for, um, we have a lot of farmers who come from uh, different regions, different growing environments. Um, so they might end up in Wisconsin and be looking to continue farming, but they're not sure uh, what kind of crops do best, what does well um, as far as um, crops that are popular at markets and things like that. Um, so we can really um, provide that information and resources for people. Um, other challenges uh, would just be, um, you know, finding those markets, um, you know, getting set up on the land, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We were talking a little bit ago about that access to land issue and um, how hard it is um, to raise the capital it requires yep. to get uh, access to land these days. And you're from Wisconsin yourself as well, right? You're, yes. Uh, from rural Wisconsin, have yes. a sense of... Uh, those challenges. Tell people a little bit more about what happens, for example, when a when a farm goes up for sale here in rural Wisconsin these days. Yes, so it is hard to um, unless you stand to inherit some land or um, you know have a good line of credit with a bank. It's really hard to uh, be able to uh, fund the capital requirements needed to purchase land and the equipment to farm the land. Um, many farms are going up for sale around here, but. Um, People want the highest price they can get for the land, uh, which really squeezes out um, 
younger farmers, people who are trying to get into farming uh, without, you know, that equity and capital. Um, and, you know, those farms end up either getting bought by a big farmer who can afford it, who can kind of, you know, add it to their kind of growing larger kind of corporate type farm um, or kind of larger family farm that has been acquiring land over years. Um or they often get sold uh, to developers, which we see a lot in our area um, as well, uh, because it is hard for uh, a young person or uh, someone who immigrates here, um, you know, to to find the land, to be able to put up that money or acquire a bank loan. And, and honestly, uh, selling vegetables is kind of, you know, our margins are pretty small. Um, there's a lot of variables that go in. So it, it's really tough for um, for people to acquire that land. So we're really trying to provide that uh, for people to run their businesses, um, you know, make a profit without having to worry about those large capital expenditures. Yeah, thanks, Seth. Let's turn towards our farmer guests now and have you tell us your stories of what drew you to the Farley Center program and tell us a little bit about your farm. Um, Ch Chandy, we'll start with you today. Tell us a little Sounds bit good. about what drew you to the Farley Center and, and your farm there. Um, we had heard about the Farley Center mainly through WRT um, back, uh, back in the days and uh, um, in 2016, one of our dearest uh, friends passed away, and uh, <clears throat> and she was buried at the Farley Center uh, in the Nature Press Century. And when we visited um, the Farley Center during the funeral, that was the first uh, sight I had on uh, um, seeing the Farley Center and just the scale of, uh, you know, although uh, the funeral was the focus of the day, um, what remained with me was uh, uh, what Farley Center, the farming aspect and the extent of uh, um, land there was, and uh, uh, I followed up with uh, Seth actually and uh, uh, asked about uh, how we could join and uh, get started. And the Farley Center is very help was very helpful. They, uh, um, in fact, uh, at UW there's a, a class that. Uh, uh, we could attend to get the basics of farming. Um, and also, I, when I grew up in India, um, I went to my undergrad was in uh, was in agriculture. I did uh, an undergraduate study in agriculture. And uh, uh, when I came to the U.S., um, that didn't become my uh, career path. And, you know, uh, I wanted to somehow get back into farming somehow. And we used to um, garden quite a bit in the uh, um in the Madison area, uh, and then we, we were looking for a bigger patch of land to garden, and uh, the Farley Center attracted us, and uh, going through the uh, the training course at UW also helped in uh, getting our knowledge back together on how to um, operate, you know, I mean, working in a, you know, in a garden is one thing, but then when you scale that up to um, a farm, it becomes uh, a little more challenging, so that stepping stone kind of helped us uh, um, going through the uh, training. And Seth and Seamus, they really helped us with uh, um, understanding how uh, uh, the crops work and uh, um, also helping with the equipment. I, you know, initially didn't know how to drive a tractor, but then over over the years I got comfortable with that and uh, um, 
and the um, other resources that Forest Center provides, like the, uh, you know, we <clears throat> get access to the markets, we get uh, um, there are resources in Farley Center itself, the pack shed, uh, you know, the water, all those things are uh, are already there. So for us, it was more like a dream come true. So uh, we initially um, struggled with, uh, you know, doing the gardening and stuff in the beginning, but then it's been it's been six years, so we've grown over the years and uh, um, <clears throat> really gotten gotten a hand on it. Thanks so much, Chandy, for sharing your story. I'll, I'll turn to you now, Sam, to tell us more about your history with the Farley Center and what and how you grow there. Awesome. Thanks. And thanks, Chandy. Um, yeah, so I, my history, I, um, I was actually, my training, my background is in history and teaching. Um, and so I, it's really cool. I, um, I don't necessarily have a background in farming. I, um, until, you know, the last few years, but, um, I, I used to teach, um, and I still do. Um, but yeah, I, I taught, um, I started teaching ugh, 2018. Um, and I sort of realized that that wasn't exactly my passion. <laughs> Um, and it was sort of a hard realization for me, but I also have always wanted to learn how to grow um, vegetables um, and just work outside a lot more than I have ever in my life. And so um, eventually I decided I, I worked on a farm in 2020 um, in just north of here. It's called Orange Cat Community Farm. Pretty awesome. Um, and that's kind of like where I learned a lot about what, an organic vegetable operation looks like. Um, and after that, I was like, man, I really want to learn by doing and just mess up and learn as I go, <laughs> which um, is a lot of farming. But um, yeah, especially as someone who had a lot less experience. And so I started looking up incubators in the area and I found the Farley Center, which is I think the only, well, it's, it's, it's a collaborator, so um, no longer called an incubator, but the only one in Dane County. And so I, I reached out to Seth and um, we met and he said they would have spots. So um, yeah, I honestly, I don't, I don't think I would be running my own operation if it weren't for the Farley Center, um, just because of the, the, the cost, right? The, the cost of infrastructure, access to land, all of that. So um, but honestly, like what drew me to farming in the first place was so I used to live in Chicago and a lot of my several of my friends um, run like urban farms in Chicago and do all these really cool projects rooted in racial and environmental justice. Um, and it's I was like, man, I, I really want to do that. <laughs> but I didn't really know how to start. So um, and that's why I I. Um, ended up working on a farm after I realized teaching wasn't quite the full-time career path for me. Um, yeah, and so I, I'm really excited that I get to do that at the Farley Center. And a huge draw about it, too, was that, you know, the Farley Center is rooted in, as they say, peace, sustainability, and justice. And it's been really amazing and important for me to have a consumers around me um, with such like diverse backgrounds and 
yeah, so that's something I really, really like about it, too. Thank you, Sam. I want to talk more about that diversity in a second, but I'm going to reintroduce you both, or all, all three of you first. Um, you're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with Seth Riley, farm manager at the Farley Center for Peace, Justice, and Sustainability, and Farley Center farmers Sam Shea and Chandy Carnum. If you'd like to join our conversation today, please give us a call at 608 608- 256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. We'd love to hear your questions for local farmers about getting into small-scale farming in this day and age in the Madison area in southern Wisconsin or, or more broadly and what it takes and how organizations like the Farley Center can help uh, farmers get into the business. You were just talking there at the break, uh, Sam, about that sense of community that comes out of being uh, on the, in the same location with other farmers, many of them from lots of different places around the world. I'm going to turn it back to you, Seth, and have, us, uh, have you tell us a little bit more about that sense of community and maybe give folks a sense of where all these farm- farmers are coming from, who's there right now, and, and what are their different backgrounds? Yes, Absolutely. Uh, so like you mentioned, we have about a dozen different farm businesses on our land uh, in this coming year. Uh, that could be upwards of 20 farmers. So each farm business is different. There's not a one-size-fits-all. Some of them are uh, single people uh, who want to farm full-time. Some are partnerships. Um, some people have uh, you know, full-time jobs, and they do this on the weekend or not as a hobby, but as kind of a second uh, gig. Um, so... There are a lot of us out on the shared land. Uh, we're working side by side. Each farm business, you know, they focus on their business. They're out here to make a profit and do what uh, the growing and grow the crops they want to. Uh, but we all have to work together and share uh, certain spaces and equipment together. Uh, so that's where that collaboration comes in. Um it can be difficult sometimes when, you know, you want to get on when, you know, the sun's shining and there's only two tractors to use and there's three farmers who are ready to, you know, be out there working. Um, but there's so much support uh, from working alongside each other. Not only do you get to look towards more experienced farmers and see what they're doing and learn from them and um, kind of uh, be mentored by some of the more experienced farmers. Uh, but because we're all there, we're ready to lend a hand, whether it's hooking up a tractor or watching someone's kids, um, things like that. So there's there's just so much support. And we have had farmers um, go on uh, to buy their own farms, which like we really love that if that's a goal of a farmer. Uh, but it can be isolating uh, when people move off and, and they don't have kind of that camaraderie uh, like they do when they're in our program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture of the collaboration that goes on there. And um, do linguistic and cultural differences or boundaries come into play sometimes? <laughs> I, I'll throw this out to any of you. Um, tell us a little bit more about the the crossing cultures that happens there among the farmers at Farley Center. Um, Sam or Chandy, do you want to jump in? Sure. Um, that's... Uh, um, you know, an interesting question because that's uh plays out quite a bit in the farm because uh um we all come from different backgrounds and uh um some of the farmers are uh, you know they're spanish speaking and then 
um, you know, English is a common language, but then sometimes the language becomes a barrier, but then uh, we are um, able to communicate and get across, and, uh, um, you know, everybody understands a little English, so so that way we were able to um, get through with uh, um, any questions we may have, and, uh, um, you know, since farming is the subject, it, it's easy to uh, sometimes understand what someone is saying, um, and um, um, not have issues with that. So, yeah, thank you, Shandy. Um, anything you'd like to share, Sam, about the cross-cultural environment there at the Farley Center? Yeah, one hundred percent agree with what Shandy said, and especially like farming is the common language, so it's it's easy enough to communicate. Um, I really like that, Shandy. Um, yeah, and I, it's just so cool to see. Yeah, it's so cool to see um, all the different things that people are growing. Um, it's one of my favorite things, and to be able to do things like barter for you know, if if I have extra this, someone else um, has extra this, and we can sort of. It's it's really cool. It's um, I think Chandy and I did that a couple of years ago, right, Chandy? Uh, yep, yep, I, yeah. He grew yeah, <laughs> he grew an awesome like garlic crop and I needed garlic seed and I had a, a really a pretty good um, winter melon crop that year and so we traded and it was it was awesome wonderful uh, yeah Seth would you like to add anything to that yeah and um, some of the growing techniques uh, that come from other cultures uh, we have a Hmong farmer who does just the most intricate trellising of different like bitter melons and cucumbers and things like that just like weaving the most elaborate things between posts in the middle of the field it's always fun to watch and uh you definitely want to come to our potlucks our potluck meetings are um some of the best yeah let's let's dig in or dive in so to speak to those specific uh crops here um tell us uh chandy and sam what you're really most passionate about growing right now what's a crop you want people to know about or a food that you want people to know about that you're growing there that they may not have heard of before or may not encounter much sam uh maybe we'll start with you (laughs) okay um yeah so i just mentioned um winter melon or um Another word for it, I think, Chandy, correct me if I'm wrong, too, is, is ash, ash gourd? Ash gourd, um, yep, yep. Yeah, ash gourd. Um, yeah. And it's pretty, like, popular in Taiwan, but it sounds like, Chandy, it's also something that you've had a lot of familiarity with. Yep, um, yep. Um, yeah, I uh, thank you, Sam. I mean, I know I didn't have a good uh, winter melon crop, and you had some really good winter melons, and... Uh, Ashgourd is uh, um, a sought-out vegetable in um, um, in India, and it's used in many different uh, uh, cuisines. And uh, um, and you know, I also didn't know that it grew uh, so well until I saw Sam producing these uh, really huge winter melons. So <laughs> um, you know, I definitely benefited from that. And I and Sam, I shared it with several of my Indian friends, and they all loved it. You know, so, oh, that's awesome! Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's funny too that you say that because that was two seasons ago. Last season, um, I uh-huh. it was kind of sad the winter melon didn't make it, but um, <laughs> yeah, it. But I I, I love it, um, and it's something that I didn't fully grow up 
eating except for occasionally. So I, my dad is Taiwanese and, and he, he lives in Taiwan, but um, my parents split when I was pretty young. So I saw him a lot less. Um, and part of me growing crops like wintermelon um, are so that I, it's my way of connecting with um, that important side of me. Um, and it's really awesome. It's, it's, it's this like big, like ashy looking gourd. Um, some, some farmer friends described it almost as, as like a winter cucumber almost. <laughs> um, and it's kind of hairy. Um, and yeah, it's like you cook it and it's really, it absorbs a lot of flavor. Um, and yeah, so I've, I've been really excited to grow things like winter melon. Um, I've also been growing, uh, my partner actually farms with me too, um, but we've, we've been growing uh, bitter melon. And one of my favorite vegetables growing up is choice, choisum, which is a brassica. Um, and it's like a very tender stem and leaf uh, type plant. So just so for our listeners, it's it's related to like kale or cabbage or mm-hmm. as a brassica. Yeah. Broccoli. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh tender broccoli stems almost, um, which I don't know, depending on who you are, that may or may not sound appetizing, but it's delicious. Um, yeah. And it's very, it's very flavorful and really good steamed and with a little bit of soy sauce and sesame oil or oyster sauce, if you're into that. Yeah. And uh, Sam and Shandy, have you found a market for these particular crops um, like ash gourd that you were just describing or, or, or others? Yeah. I mean, um, the, some of the, uh, uh, you know, markets have been mostly, um, I sometimes in, in, in the middle of summer, I just have a, um, um, a pop-up market um, in in Middleton, actually, one of my one of my Indian friends hosts this pop up, and then a lot of my Indian friends come by, and uh, um, especially Ash Gourd, um, Bitter Melon, that's another one Seth mentioned, uh, is very popular with, with them. And uh, um, another thing that I sell to them is uh, amaranth. Um, amaranth is uh, um, it grows like a weed in our farm, but then uh, come June, um, the uh, uh, the amaranth is fresh and. Uh, you know, I bunch it up and, and uh, um, share it with my friends. Um, another one is green garlic. Uh, green garlic is another one that voluntarily voluntarily comes up when uh, you don't do a good job of harvesting your garlic. You next season you 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 get this bonus crop of uh, green garlic, and that's also something that my uh, uh, Indian friends could like quite a bit. And uh, um, garlic scape is another one that's uh, that's kind of unique. Um, that uh, that is very uh, popular amongst my um, Indian colleagues, and um, okra is another one that uh, I grow. That uh, um, you know, every year my friends ask me for okra, and um, I grow uh, chilies, like different variety of chilies that are like you know on various spice levels, and uh, these spicy chilies are uh, also something that. Uh, uh, we not only sell, but also we dry them and then uh, uh, sell them as dried dried chilies as well. So, um, it the other thing is I, I I focus a lot on storage crops. That is uh, a crop that I can store easily. So, onions, garlic, potatoes, 
those are, my, those are some of the things that I uh, um, draw every year and uh, have them, um, you know, being able to store them throughout the winter. Uh, that's another thing. And um, we also grow many varieties of tomatoes. Um, and tomatoes is something that uh, we sun dry them. I mean, we dehydrate them and call them sun dried tomatoes. And also, we, um, my wife makes a um, the, the pizza sauce from some of the tomatoes we we've canned, and uh, that's another one that we sell at the Verona Farmers Market. So, yeah, and Verona Farmers Market has been our main uh, outlet uh, these days, uh, um, and we also sell to um, the disease little tidbit. Uh, whenever we have excessive produce, we uh, um, we work with them to. Uh, um, sell them what we can uh, supply to them. That's Shandy Carnum, a farmer at the Farley Center for Peace, Justice, and Sustainability. And I'm also talking with his fellow farmer, Sam Shea, and farm manager at the Farley Center, Seth Riley, here on A Public Affair today on WRT 89.9 FM. I'm Douglas Haynes, and I would love for you to give us a call with your questions on local farming and ways that the Farley Center is helping new farmers and immigrant farmers in particular get into the farming business here in southern Wisconsin. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. Um, you both were talking there a little bit as you were talking about uh, these crops that some folks might not have heard of, particular crops, particular to uh, Asian traditions that you were both describing. Um, you were both talking about marketing as you talked about that a little more. Let's explore marketing and how uh, you have had to navigate that as new farmers and how what the farmer uh, the Farley Center does to help you with that process. Um, I'll turn it back to you, Seth, to, to talk about that a little bit, because obviously it must be a big challenge for new farmers. Yep, yep. Um, so many of our farm, we're mostly growing uh, fresh vegetables and fruit. Uh, so the markets for that would be, you know, your local farmer's market. Uh, a few of our farmers have their own CSA shares or community supported agriculture, where uh, people will pay an upfront cost in the beginning of spring, and then for usually about 20 weeks, uh, depending on the share, uh, you'll get uh, a box delivered um, of whatever is available that week. Uh, so that's kind of a win-win uh, because the customer uh, gets a lot of produce uh, for a reasonable amount of money, and the farmers can get uh, cash in the spring um, when cash flows are uh, really dried up. Um, and also it's kind of insurance, you know, if it is a bad year, uh, the farmers, um, you know, still have that money banked. Um, and if it's an abundant year, then the customers are uh, going to be awash in vegetables uh, from the farm. Uh, so as well as farmers market and CSA, uh, we also sell a lot to local restaurants and grocery stores. Uh, you might see some of our farms on a, you know, a chalkboard at your local restaurant or uh, maybe, you know, selling produce at a local grocery store. Uh, the farmers also started a uh, cooperative uh, where they hired a salesperson and a delivery driver um, who had uh, restaurant connects. Um, so a lot of our farmers who, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to uh, communicate or network uh, their way into some of the more exclusive restaurants and businesses in our area, 
uh, have been able to, uh, you know, provide vegetables there. And um, and that's been great, too. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of them also, you know, run their own uh, food businesses, whether it's like a food cart um, or a restaurant, brick and mortar restaurant, uh, specifically uh, Sabordo Puebla and Little Tibet uh, get a lot of their vegetables from our farms as well. So you're all over the place in the Madison area. All over area, the place, and, like. and some of our farmers even, you know, make their own products, value-added products, um, which they can sell year-round and, you know, mark up a little bit. Yeah, Chandy, you were just describing some of those value-added products, right? Tell us a little bit more, Chandy, about how the Farley Center has been helpful uh, to you and your wife in uh, making your farm a viable business. Sure. Um, Farley Center has been instrumental in, in pretty much uh, um, standing up our business. We um, initially didn't have much of an ex- experience in, uh, in the marketing angle of it. And uh, um, we, were, we were, you know, I mean, a little intimidated with, uh, um, you know, putting up our own stand and then showing, um, you know, what vegetables we have to sell. And uh, Solid Center helped us with uh, the initial setup of uh, a farmer's market. We we used to do a farmers market at the St. Mary's Hospital, and uh, for the for a few years, and and um, all of the Farley Center farmers would contribute to the uh, to the vegetables for for the market, and uh, that's where we got started, and uh, and then uh, you know that experience was very useful to us because uh, one you know we um, hadn't been so good at growing our own vegetables, so it was good to uh, supplement that with uh, farm vegetables from other farmers. And another one is uh, people-to-people interaction was something that uh, we had to learn through that process, and uh, that was very helpful. And also, another thing is uh, um, for marketing, one of the things we need is uh, um, a place to clean our vegetables, a place to store our vegetables, and that's one thing that's, that Farley Center really helps us with is uh, we have a pack shed there that's shared with all the farmers, and uh, that uh, helps us uh, stage our vegetables, you know, cleaning. And then also there's a cooler there that uh, um, that helps our, our vegetables to stay fresh. And then access to market. I mean, um, we we were introduced with uh, um, this is little Tibet there, and um, they started the uh, uh, getting vegetables from us, and that was a good connection that we kept up year after year. Um, also, um, with value added, uh, one other thing that uh, the forest Center really helped me with uh, was uh, honey. Um, we do have uh, an apiary at the Farley Center, and uh, Farley Center uh, on a yearly basis conducts uh, a training for how to grow your own bees and how to maintain your own apiary. Um, I went through that about three years ago, and that really gave me a, a foothold on on uh, growing my own honey. Um, I started with uh, one hive uh, three years ago, and now I'm up to four. And this year, I might I might double to almost eight hives, and uh, that's a, a really good revenue earner for us because, uh, uh, like Seth was saying, that it's one of those value-added products that that preserves and and uh, stays on the shelf. So we have something to take to the farmer's market. Um, you know, even if there's a market in April or May, uh, we may have some uh, uh, something to take. And the other one is uh, um, tomatoes. We, um, we can our tomatoes, and then we make several things with it, uh, sauces, um, 
And the main thing that we're making now is uh, pizza sauce. And pizza sauce is something that my wife uh, has a very good handle on. And uh, um, we try to sell that to the rural farmer's market. And um, yeah, and That's that's about it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that was super helpful to hear uh, all these different ways that uh, you are exploring uh, diversifying your produce and your efforts and your value-added products there and the ways that intersects with the Farley Center and how they can help you do that. Sam, would you like to add anything about marketing and what you've learned from either the Farley Center staff or your collaborators, other farmers there at the Farley Center? Um. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I would second everything that everyone's already said. Um, we we run a small CSA, um, like Seth mentioned, and that's been really great because it's like you get this built-in community almost of, of regular people that, are, that you're growing vegetables for. Um, and I really like that. The way that uh, we, that I <laughs> marketed for that was, um, well, friends and family, and then um, it's really cool too. Like the Farley Center in their newsletter would post would would include a little bit uh, about our farm, and then uh, a sign up. And then the other major way I marketed was Facebook. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I'm a part of a like a queer queer Facebook group online, and so um, I just posted on there. Um, hey. Here's, you know, we, we have a CSA if anyone's interested. Um, and so that's been really great. And then just having connections like Farmer's Market, the Farley Center um, is very connected to the Verona Farmer's Market, which is the market that we started at two years ago. And then last year we were at the Mount Horeb Farmer's Market, um, which is also really great. Um, so, yeah, it's been good. And definitely um, – I've definitely had uh, Candy and Jen's pizza sauce, and it's, I will say, 10 out of 10 would definitely eat again. Thank you. Just to put that in there. There's some marketing for you as well, Shandy, <laughs> coming <laughs> from from close to, close to home. Um, that's Sam Shea of Jumping Spider Farm talking about his or their collaboration with the Farley Center for Peace, Justice, and Sustainability, where they farm. I'm also talking today with Chandy Carnum, another farmer at the Farley Center, and Farley Center farm manager, Seth Riley. If you'd like to join our conversation, there's still time. Give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Uh, I'd like to turn now towards the the kind of nitty-gritty daily life of farming for you all. And I think it would be really beneficial for our audience if you could just paint us a picture of a day in the life of your work at different times of year. Let's, let's start with what your work looks like right now and then maybe speed up into that busiest time in, in late spring when things are, are really getting going. But what does a day look like for you? I'll throw it back to you, Chandy, first of all. Sure, sure. Yeah, I... Um... I have a day job, but then um, farming is always on my mind. And right now, what um, what I'm growing is uh, I have uh, onion seedlings growing uh, started to grow in my basement, and uh, um, not a not a time consumer. But then, as uh, we get into March, April, 
the intensity of uh, um, growing uh, seedlings inside the house. That is, you know, since since you're in Wisconsin, um, a lot of the uh, prep work starts very early on. I start my onion seedlings in like middle of February, and uh, I I plant them in uh, in the middle of April. Uh, between that time, it it grows inside the house, and pretty much all my seedlings have started uh, indoors and uh, uh, get ready for the summer. And as uh, as spring picks up, um, we start to uh, plant potatoes and onions. And uh, you know, as the daylight starts uh, uh, getting longer, the amount of hours that we spend at the farm um, grows from you know a few hours to almost to um, you know 10 p.m. at night. Um, we'll be at the farm and then heading back home, you know, trying to get some rest and then finish our day jobs and go back to it again. As we get into um, June, July, that's when it becomes really intense because uh, June is the, uh, as Seth uh, always tells me, (laughs) June is the month when we have to, you know, we have to go on war with the weeds. (laughs) So, um, so June is again a pretty intense period. And uh, once we get into July, um, Things ease up a little bit because all the crops are in the ground, and uh, we're mostly focused on harvesting and and uh, uh, and marketing. So, and then we get into August, uh, where it's more um, the towards the middle of summer. That's when uh, we're mostly worried about harvesting and trying to see what we can do with fall. Um, a lot of hours, um, you know. It's, it's just that as we get into summer, we pretty much. Uh, um, are dedicated to the farm, and uh, uh, and that becomes uh, pretty much our entire life. So um, we look forward to, again, um, October coming around. So that's when uh, we plant our garlic. That's the last crop I plant, and then that, that closes the farm for me. And uh, um, in winter, is, uh, you know, we enjoy the winters mostly because that's when we get most of our free time. So um, that's... It's kind of an app for the whole year. Yeah, that's the the rest time of the year. Thank you for that little snapshot almanac, Chandy. Um, Sam, give us a sense of your routine and and uh, especially maybe you could focus in after after Shandy gave us that overview on what a typical day looks like on a really busy day. What kind of activities are you engaged in? Sure. Yeah. So, um, typical day. Um, Let's see. So maybe I'll take, yeah, June or July, for example, you know, to echo Chandy. Uh, June is a really busy month because um, you're simultaneously potentially still like seeding, maybe doing greenhouse work. Um, and then on top of that, you're also transplanting. Um, and then on top of that, you're like weeding and maintaining the, the plants that you've already transplanted. And then on top of that, if you have a CSA or you sell um, at a market or wholesale or, you know, to restaurants, you're also harvesting in June. <laughs> so June just like has everything going on. Um, and then different things sort of, you know, fall off as you keep going. Like, you know, by July, you're not doing greenhouse work, you know, or you're doing a little bit less seeding um, potentially, um, depending on what your planting schedule looks like. So yeah, a typical day in June would be uh, somehow all of those things. Um, but then, you know, if you, if you took a day like, um, 
like a Thursday, for example, which is when we do our CSA deliveries, uh, we might wake up in the morning, get to the farm. Um, I mean, we, you know, we aim for something like eight or nine. <laughs> uh, and then, but, you know, other farmers are often there earlier than us. Um, we just have a smaller CSA. And then we harvest. Um, actually, this would probably be the day before a delivery day. So, like, yeah, we harvest um, as much as we can in the morning. Um, and then we're in the packing shed, washing or cooling our vegetables, um, packing them, putting them in the cooler. And then the afternoon um, would be spent, if, if we're not, if we've already done enough harvest for the day, we'll spend it on other tasks like weeding or transplanting or some, some different forms of upkeep, whatever that looks like. Um, and then the next day we might then go back into the cooler, get the vegetables out, pack our boxes, um, and deliver the vegetables, so something like that. Um, but I'm I'm quite actually interested. This summer is going to be really interesting because I mentioned earlier I, I work at a I still teach a little bit. I work at a school and it's kind of a cool, interesting school where um, it's like the democratic school. So there's a lot of student input. Um, and one thing is that students really wanted to see um, like a a school garden or farm. And so I've been working with students to try to get that off the ground a little bit. Um, and this year, I'm actually hoping to host a few student interns at the farm, which I think will be really exciting. So the day-to-day -day with that might look a little different. There might be some teaching involved um, and different other activities um, related to that. That's great. You're bringing an educational dimension into to what you're doing there at the Farley Center as well. Um, both of you mentioned weeds just now, and that reminded me that we really haven't talked about the the big ecological picture of farming there very much. And I'll turn it back to you, Seth, to tell us a little bit more about how soil is managed there and uh, how everybody approaches cultivation and weed management maybe differently without getting too technical, but give us a sense of uh, the ecological ethic at the Farley Center. Yes. Uh, so we are an organic certified farm. Uh, when our program was being funded, all the farmers uh, voted and decided that we should all be organic. Um, so we do follow those practices and standards uh, first and foremost. Um, you know, I always say our farmers are the Farley Center's biggest asset. Um, but maybe the biggest asset for our farmers would be our soil. Uh, so, you know, treating that um, properly um, and sustainably uh, is of utmost importance. Um, so uh, weed control, we usually do uh, mechanical weed control, um, wheel hose, hand hose, um, running a cultivating tractor through. Um, other things, uh, pests, um, Funguses, other diseases we can control um, with some organic approved chemicals. Um, but we have a lot of other methods uh, as well for that. Uh, we do a lot of cover cropping out at the Farley Center, which is just uh, growing crops specifically um, not to harvest, uh, but to um, kind of nourish the soil, whether that's just preventing erosion, whether that's um, fixing nitrogen. 
um, adding more green manure, organic matter, back into the soil. Um, cover crops do a lot of great things, so uh, we're always cover cropping out at the Farley Center. Uh, farmers also um, invest in compost and some other organic fertilizers and manure uh, to take care of their soil as well. Uh, many farmers are on, uh, you know, the same space year after year, uh, so, you know, they're very invested in um, keeping both the fertility uh, and uh, the fertility high and the uh, weed seed bank low. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks. We have really uh, just enough time, I think, to reach back out to both of our farmer guests today to end on uh, a joyful note. And I'd love to hear from both of you about what keeps you going farming. What are the greatest joys for you in growing food? We've talked about a lot of the challenges today, but obviously there's got to be joy to keep you going through that uh, difficult sometimes routine of the year that you just described. Uh, I'll turn it to you first, Shandy. What's joyful in farming for you? Um, the, the whole experience is, uh, um, is joyful. You know, the year starts off with uh, a lot of anticipation, a lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, what do we do this year kind of um, thinking. And then the year, as we go into farming, it's, uh, you know, like uh, Sam was saying, you know, some crops win, some crops lose. And, uh, you know, as we end the farm season, um, at least, you know, I mean, the, both of us, me and my wife, feel very rewarded by, by the experience. You know, not only the crops we grew, um, the friendships we developed, um, the interactions we had, um, all those things, you know, sort of uh, um, really brings us joy and, uh, you know, makes us want to do it again. You know, it's just uh, one of those things that, you know, this is the seventh year we've been doing it. Um, during the middle of the farm season, you know, some things like, you know, when we had bad rain events and, uh, you know, flooding and things like that, you know, we want to throw the towel and say, you know, we're done with this. But then, um, you know, the very next day we pick it up and then start all over again. You know, it's just uh, one of those things that uh, as, uh, you know, as a life lesson, it's taught me to bounce back, you know, and and that's something I value. Thank you. That's Shandy Carnum uh, telling us about the joys of farming and so much there in what you're saying, not just about the growing the food itself, but all the community that comes out of the process. How about you, Sam mm-hmm. Shea? What's joyful in farming for you? Yeah, definitely 100% agree with what Shandy said. Um, for me, it's like just the day-to-day of it is it's something I really enjoy. Like I love just being able to be in the soil, um, being able to have moments where you get to just like observe a bird, you know, <laughs> next to you or something while you're picking peas or something. Um, I, I love the communal aspect of it. I like, you know, I, I like that there's a strong farming community around me. Um, I like doing things like bartering and, uh, you know, creating alternative type economies in that way, I guess. Um, yeah, and just the joy of like, wow, you know, we grew this food and now we're sharing it with our community and getting to enjoy it ourselves um, is just, it's just a really fulfilling, fulfilling thing. And, you know, being out in the sun um, is also a wonderful perk of that. Um, you get to be out there. Um, and even when it's raining, I still, I still love doing what I'm doing. So, yeah. Thanks for that. 
testimony, Sam. And we'll wind up with you here today, Seth. Uh, People may be wondering, can I visit the Farley Center? Are there ways I can get involved or support these programs we've been hearing about today? Yes, absolutely. Uh, We love to have visitors. Uh, We give farm tours often. Uh, Go visit one of our farms at a local farmer's market. You'll find us at the Verona Farmer's Market, some of our farmers at the Hilldale Farmer's Market, uh, and around town, too. Um, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we also have a lot of on-farm events, uh, some summer concert series, as well as a big apple cider press in, um, in the fall, too. Um, lot, just great, great time to get people out on the farm, um, learning where their food comes from, and just enjoying uh, the beautiful space that we all take care of. Thanks so much. That's Sam, or excuse me, Seth Riley. Farley Center Farm Manager, and we've also been talking today with Farley Center Farmers Shandy Carnum of Ganny Moon Farm and Sam Shea of Jumping Spider Farm. Thank you for joining us, Shandy. Hey, thank you. And thank you so much, Sam. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And thanks again for coming in today, Seth. Absolutely. Thank you. And you have been listening to A Public Affair here on WRT 89.9 FM Madison today. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd also like to thank today's engineer, Andrew, producer Jade, and news director, Sholly. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Stay tuned for Madison Bookbeat. On today's show, Stephen Wright, law professor and co-director of the Wisconsin Innocent Project, talks about his first novel, The Coyotes of Carthage.